0: New York, Jimmy. Morning. My name is New York Jimmy. I'm a grateful recovering alcoholic. And I still get nervous before I speak. But I was told a long time ago, alcoholics are like tea bags. The only time we work is when we're in hot water. So, oh. I said I'm a grateful alcoholic, and what I mean by that also, it's not just me that's grateful. There's a lot of other people out there that's grateful that are in the program. Bartenders, police, judge, you know, family members and friends. So remember that when you say you're grateful. There's a lot of other people that think we uh, are grateful. Uh, before I start, I, you know, with the nickname of New York Jimmy, I just wanna mention something that uh, uh, everybody knows what's happened on September 11th, and I'm not gonna, you know, uh, but what I want to do mention is that a lot of people out here don't realize that when that situation happened, we also lost a meeting. I used to attend meetings in the World Trade Center. Uh, in New York, We a lot of times we had lunchtime meetings because a lot of times office workers, it would take them 45 minutes to get downstairs, to get a sandwich and get back up to their office. So people used to bring you know lunches with them and we had lunchtime meetings at the World Trade Center, also had them at Citicorp and Chase Manhattan Bank. Uh, so, it's, when that happened, we lost the meeting. But also, what happened was, um, I went back to New York after that because I had a trip to the Middle East. I went to Egypt, Israel, I picked a good time to go, you know, uh, and also Jordan. But I went back to New York and I went down to ground zero. And what happened because of the situation, um, there was a lot of firemen, a lot of police, and a lot of rescue workers. That were in the program and they started AA meetings in ground zero. So sometimes we lose a meeting and sometimes we gain a meeting. Uh, I tried to make that meeting. I went up to GSO and I uh, but because of the security thing you had to go through the Red Cross to get clearance and all that stuff and I didn't get a chance to go to a meeting at ground zero. But I just want to mention that you know that uh, uh you know we got meetings all over the place and everything else. You know I grew up in New York City and uh, and, uh, oh, you know, I joined a bunch of gangs when I was a kid. I'm not going to get into the war stories. But you know what? I came into AA, and I joined the biggest and the best gang in the world. And it's the weirdest gang, I'll tell you that, <laughs> you, know, you know? I mean, you know, if we ever had colors, all these gangs today got these colors, the reds and the blues and all that stuff. Our colors, I think, would be black and blue, you know? I think everybody can identify with them colors, So, you know? Oh, there's the alcoholic gang, black and blue, okay, you know? Uh, so, but uh, just think my anniversary date is May 28th, 1976, which I am proud of, gives me 30 years of sobriety, and just to let people know, I'm going to tell you how you get 30 years. You don't drink, and you don't die, okay? And you can get 30 years, but the thing is, to enjoy yourself and to do some of the stuff, that's the... That takes a little bit of work. Um, The only difference between having 30 years and 30 days is that I've been through some stuff. I've been through the relationships that didn't work out, the disappointments with the jobs, the, the promotion I didn't get, the lottery I didn't win, the girlfriend I didn't get, and all that. I didn't have to drink over it. You know, a lot of us realize when things happen you know somebody always comes up to you and says this too shall pass and you want to kill them. you know uh, there's probably a couple of dead AA members I know in New York there are uh, but uh, anonymity you know um, but uh, so but also I, I believe that too I've been in the program long enough to know that when one door closes another one opens but the whole thing when that door the other door it doesn't open in five minutes sometimes it doesn't open in five Five hours, sometimes five days, sometimes it takes five months. Jimmy don't like standing and waiting in the freaking hallway. That's the whole problem uh, with the, uh, you know, with that thing about when things happen. But today we got a support system and everything else. So it's it's good that way. I want to do something. We just had, you know, somebody just won 500 and something dollars and that's pretty, that's pretty cool. You go to a meeting and make some money, uh, but, uh, Let's try something. Anybody want $20? Anybody? Raise your hand. Okay? Oh, boy. Okay. Alcoholics out there. Okay. Anybody still want it? Raise your hand. Anybody still want it? Anybody still want it? Still want it? Why? Exactly. It still worth something. This is an alcoholic, folks, my opinion. We've been stepped on, got dirty, rearranged, disfolded and dis-shelved, but you know what? We're still worth something. And how... <laughs> I'll talk to you after the meeting. <laughs> I'm not well. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we'll talk more. <laughs> uh, I'm glad we can laugh about things, because you know I went to a meeting and it, it, there was a sign on the on the wall that said, "Please God, teach me to laugh again, but never forget, let me forget that I cried." And that was kind of my prayer. I, I'm I'm going to probably skip my drunk-a-log I, I'm going to give you the quick drunk-a-log because what I want to do is. I'll get into recovery a little bit more. Uh, So my quick drunk log is in 1974, I pee-peed in my pants. It gets better. 1975, I pee-peed in my pants. And 1976, I had no pants, okay? Uh, You know? So, We can laugh about it, but you know, I come from a dysfunctional neighborhood. Some people call that New York City, all right? Growing up, I had this moment of clarity and I asked the big question. You know, when I was a little kid, I asked about sex. Uh Uh-oh. So the government, the school teachers, the churches, friends, family, all told me that sex was for lower class animals. It was dirty, it was filthy, and it was a sin. So save it for the one you love and marry. kind of like tell you a little bit where I came from. I quit school at at 16, because I knew it all, you know. Uh, I asked my one question and didn't get an answer, so. Um, But uh, I got into, you know, alcohol, even got into drugs uh, younger, but this is AA. Uh, And, uh, you know, it's also nice to see a lot of young people here. That's really nice. You know, uh, there's a lot of people that grew up and they started drinking at 18 and 21. Today with the young people, they're coming into AA and other 12-step programs at the age of 18, you know? And uh, if anybody makes any kind of comments to you, I think they're just jealous. That you got the opportunity to get sober and clean at 18 and 21 or whatever age you're at. Because if I could have, boy, I would have, you know, didn't have to go through all the pain and everything else. You went through enough pain, at, you know, at 18 and, and 21 or whatever age you are. Enjoy it. It's nice to see you have a dance last night and everything else. I always get a kick out of when, you know, you'd say you can't scare an alcoholic. Yes, you can. Send them to the first AA dance, you know? You can always spot them. And they're up against the wall like this, you know? You know, how can anybody drink? How can anybody get out there and dance without a drink or a drug, you know? And then all of a sudden, they see other people do it. And they try it. And they find out you can have some fun in this program. Um, my mind runs very quickly sometimes. You know, I think if I actually died, my mind would stay awake for the next three days, you know. So don't mind me if I skip around a little bit. Uh, but um, I grew up in an Irish, you know, Italian, German, Greek neighborhood. Uh, hey, that's the way it was. But a lot of good food. A lot of good Italian wine. And a couple of good Irish bars. Okay, but uh, my father was was born in Liverpool, England. My mother was born in Ga- Galway, Ireland. Now, the Irish and English shouldn't even date much of us get married, but they they got married. Uh, I was born. I thought I was to blame for World War II. Uh, but uh, uh, my father converted to become a Jehovah Witness, and my mother was Roman-Irish Catholic. So I just bring up this point that I I grew up with a lot of confu- confusion around religion, uh, so when I came into this program, I had a little tough time with so-called God and all that stuff. I'm just glad that somebody had common sense to say, "It's God as we understand them. Uh, today, uh, I'm a lot open-minded about different religions and cultures. I kind of, you know, uh, I kind of go to a lot of places and I. I uh, watch and listen about other people's cultures and religions, I enjoy that. So it was kind of confusing. I, uh, I, like I said, I quit school at, high, uh, at 16, had a hell of a lot of jobs, went in the Navy. Uh, just to give you an idea, um, um, I got in trouble in the Navy, you know, and all that stuff, you know, break time and, you know, extra duty and all that stuff. But you know, it was a lot of fun, you know? My attitude was, look, I got I got caught once, but I got away with it 20 times. So I was ahead of the game. That's the way I kind of looked at it. And, but, uh, you know, I had six days to go. And when I was going to get out, and all of a sudden I found myself on a ship in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, during the Cuban Missile Crisis, left loading Marines. And they gave me a year's extension. And like a week before that, they asked me if I want to re-enlist, and I told them what they could do with their canoe club. So I was in a lot of deep doo-doo, you know what I mean? That seemed to be the, you know, the thing, with me. Alcoholism took me uh, down a little bit further. I ended up I was sleep, uh, I was living in furnished rooms. They're a lot of fun. You'll never see a reality show about them. You know, uh, bedroom down the hallway, and you know you just place the crash, and you're trying to dig up 15 bucks to pay the rent, a week's rent. But that's why I live, and that's the guy, kind of people I hung out with. Joe would get paid on Tuesday, so we drink in his room, and i get paid on Wednesday to drink in my room, and somebody else got paid on Thursday, and, you know. Uh, but finally, with the alcoholism, I ended up going up to a place called Graymore, St. Christopher's Inn. It was upstate New York. I would love to tell you that the guy that 12-stepped me had 30,000 years. He did not. The guy that 12-stepped me was drinking with me in the bar. it took me a little while to realize what had actually happened. Because he kept mentioning Moor And he kept mentioning St. Christopher's Inn because a lot of people would go up there for once a year and get the wrinkles out. You know, three hots in a cot. So he mentioned it. So in a way, he 12-stepped me. He put the thing in the back of my head. Because this was 1976, there wasn't, I'm, I'm, I mean, this is just the way it was. It wasn't the good old days, the bad old days, or whatever. It was just the way it was. There wasn't a lot of treatment centers. There wasn't a lot of advertisement. um, There wasn't a lot of talk on all these talk shows about alcoholism and AA and stuff like that. I didn't even know what AA was. I seen guys in my neighborhood, they quit drinking because the doctor told me if you had one more drink, you're gonna die. So they came into the bars and they drank Coke, right? They were the most miserable sons of bitches you ever wanna see, right? So I thought when you quit drinking, you became just a miserable old son of a gun, you know what I mean? I didn't know you could have fun in this program. That was kind of like the nice little surprise. So, uh, uh, I went up to this gray mall, it was run by St. Francis uh, of Assisi's brothers. They wore the shoes, I mean the sandals and a robe, and I said, oh my God, what am I in for? Even the name, Greymoor. you know? Sounds like Igor comes to the gate and lets you in, you know? But I was kind of desperate, and I remember I was there for about three days. You know, you can walk in this place drunk as a skunk and they just give you a bed and three days later, you woke up and then they start talking to you a little bit. And the brother interviewed me. He said, you know, you're a veteran. We can get you in a 90 day VA hospital. And I looked at him and I'm saying in the back of my mind, 90 days, that sounds like a jail sentence. So I told him I had places to go and things to do. And he said, name one. He says, go. He says, if you don't like it, you know, you can always walk out. So when you don't have too many choices, you go. Uh, I was there, and I kind of like, you know, still my head was foggy. I remember talking to the doctor, and he asked me these brilliant questions. He asked me who the president of the United States was. I got it wrong, you know. About four questions later, I thought, you know, I, I realized what I said, and I'm trying to, you know, get back to the doctor and tell him, no, I, I know who it is, you know. And, you know, because I'm in a psychiatric hospital. They do a lobotomies here. You know, it was Montrose, VA hospital. And uh, so I'm there for 90 days, and here's the, here's the kind of like, God has a sense of humor. A couple of my friends, um, you know, a lot of my bridges I burnt, as many of you did, and I lost a lot of friends and everything else. But I came from a, no- a neighborhood and, um, where we kind of still stuck together for some crazy New York reason. Uh, and two of my buddies came up, and they picked me up at the hospital and took me home for the weekend. Now, they don't know what to do with Jimmy because he's not drinking. So they take me to the movies. What movie do we see? One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. <laughs> I see that movie about every five years. Matter of fact, um, just two years ago, we, they had a play in, in, in Prescott, Arizona. It was One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. In May, in, around my birthday, it took a, took a swan, young lady and we went, and with a couple other people, we went to a nice, had a nice meal and went to go see Jimmy's play, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> I'll tell you, God's got a sense of humor. So uh, I got out of the VA hospital. and I would love to tell you that, you know, I got the program. I did not relapse, all right? Don't get me wrong. But I kind of like, still kind of like, wait a minute, do I fit in? I was going to some meetings out. Uh, this buddy of mine, he had a machine shop. So he, he let me stay with him. And uh, I had a job drawing holes in a piece of metal, which I really loved, you know what I mean? That's boring for eight hours, you know? Uh, but it paid for groceries, it paid for the cigarettes. I'm gonna say something. Uh, this is my opinion, all these people with therapy and, and psychiatrists and everything else. I think the best therapy in the world for somebody new in new and recovery is get a job, all right? All right? You can take all these books of self-esteem and all this other stuff, you know, okay. Uh, (laughs) read them okay Uh, but put them down and do something there's nothing better than look I don't want to get up in the morning it's cold out and go to work and everything else but you know when I got paid and everything else I became a responsible citizen I got a chance to make my amends I got a I got a chance to to do some of the corrections that I I, I screwed up and also it it made me feel that I, I was worth something it's the same thing with doing service work I think all these people running out doing these workshops on self-esteem and all that, that's all nice and wonderful. But if you want self-esteem, get involved with service. All right? You know what it feels like when you're kind of like feel this about this big and somebody says, you want to be treasurer of a group? And they go, wow, there's $40 there. You trust me with $40? You know? They make you coffee maker. They make you do some stuff. Uh, it helps your self-esteem. You get to meet people. When people say thank you, they mean it. You know, uh, I think there's a lot of things we don't give AA credit for. So if you get a chance, get involved in service. I've been involved in service for quite a few years now. I'll probably get into that in a little bit. Uh, but, you know, so I, I lost my train of thought, but it will come back someday. But anyway, I was in the VA hospital. Oh yeah, I was going to these meetings. And, and the meetings I went to, they were, they were nice and everything else, but everybody wore suits and ties. And I was not comfortable with suits and ties in the beginning. Because the guys that wore suits and ties were your bosses and they were the persons in what they call human resources or personnel. They were the ones that hired you and they were also the ones that fired you. So I was not comfortable. Uh, but that was me, all right? I'm new, we're self-conscious, we're very, you know, uh, and, and all of a sudden I noticed everything was a click. You know, a group over here about a coffee, group over here, another group over here. So I thought you had to join one of these cliques or gangs. And I noticed people went out for coffee afterwards. This was a big thing in New York, to go out to the coffee shops. That's where I really got sober, was the coffee shops. Because a lot of people didn't drive. So I just went, you know, walked down the street and went to a coffee shop. So I was waiting for the invitation to go, when are they gonna ask me to go to the coffee shop? Because I thought you had to be invited. So all of a sudden somebody comes up and says, Jimmy, you wanna go for coffee after the meeting? And I said, I got places to go and things to do. <laughs> I mean, God, I, you know, uh, you wonder about them little things. that I deprived myself of certain things uh, in the beginning, uh, not knowing and stuff. Uh, also one of the things was I went to a step meeting and all of a sudden they passed the book and you had to read and I got nervous about reading. And I never went back to that for quite a while. Because I thought somebody was going to make fun of me because I, you know, struggle with reading and stuff like that out loud. And, uh, you know, and I found out in this program, not too many people laugh at you. You know what I mean? They'll cry with you. But laughing at you, no. Because most of us have been there. Don't deprive yourself of of some kind of thing. Go out and try some stuff. I see a lot of people, you know, they kind of get nervous. They don't know if this is going to work or something like that. You know, get involved in some kind of service and, and, and see if it works out if it doesn't, you know uh, you try something else I don't think there's the perfect AA person there are people good at answering the phones and intergroup, there's other people good at speaking there's other people good at sponsoring people there's other people that's good at doing corrections or something like that you'll find what you're, what you're good at but you gotta go out there nobody's gonna go we don't have aptitude tests in this place you know what I mean <laughs> Yeah. What do I be? Okay. but so you know so find out what you're good at and give it a shot uh, you know I also want to thank the committee you know for letting me give me the opportunity to speak uh, and, and I want to thank all the volunteers I've been involved in some of these conferences and and, and and committees and stuff and it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of hours and a lot of dedication and thank you very much and as long as I'm up here I want to also thank Budweiser Guinness Stout, Rango, Dewa Scotch, uh, for helping me get into the program. <laughs> I finally I, I finally got myself a sponsor. I went back to my old neighborhood. I know that's a dangerous thing to do, uh, but I was sober for a little bit, because I, I, uh, I was a couple of years uh, out, of, out of New York City, and I went back to my old neighborhood. I was sober about a year, and I, uh, I kind of got started making meetings over there, and I felt more comfortable uh, with blue collar, you know. That's just me, and it started me getting involved in some stuff. I met a gentleman uh, that became my sponsor in New York, and he started getting me involved in service work. And uh, uh, just that God has a sense of humor. We used to do Manhattan Psychiatric Center, uh, and we used to do a meeting there, we used to go every two weeks. And I just mention this, because I find that sometimes when you have these commitments, these are all my own opinions, and I got a lot of them. That, you know, some people do service work every week. And sometimes that becomes a little monotonous and routine and stuff. And I think it's nice if you can get a bunch of people and you can split it. You know, you go to a, a, a jail every other week or a, a treatment center every other week and let somebody else do the other week. And then you kind of look forward to it. You don't get burnt out. Well, we're at Manhattan State. We do the meeting. Well, we come out. Now, my sponsor did some time upstate New York. In a prison and uh, we come down walking downstairs come down in the hallway the meetings on the 13th floor we come down we walk outside now this is this is underneath the Triborough bridge Randolph's Island which is where they filmed uh, the French connection and uh, and there's some uh, fire training uh, there and a couple psychiatric hospitals uh, and we walk out in the parking lot, there was about 65 police cars with their lights going on. Now, that, that doesn't shake you up. I looked at him and said, was it that bad of a meeting? <laughs> it was just weird timing. What had actually happened was the president uh, of the United States was coming to New York or a vice president, one of the big shots, and they used that as a staging area. So as soon as he landed touchdown at JFK, they started to close down the Roosevelt uh, East River Drive and Grand Central Parkway so they could you know, so he could fly through and not see anything, you know, uh, in his limousine. And it was just it was just a staging area, but to walk outside and see about sixty-five cops cars with their license, I mean with their lights flashing, that was kinda interesting. So I like I say, God's got a sense of humor. I got an opportunity to meet some of these people that had some time and go on some 12-step calls. And they were kind of interesting, you know, uh, in early recovery uh, um, that uh, I remember one of the guys said, Jimmy, we're going on a 12-step call. Come on, get in the car. So, you know, these guys were, you know, they they were guys you were gonna listen to because you know they've been there. So I got in the car and also we drove up, we picked up this drunk and the guy says to me, the guy driving, he said, Jimmy, go get a six pack and i look at him and i go six pack he says go get a six pack and of course you know bringing jimmy i gotta ask him you know what kind you know and he says because he had more time than i had and he said the cheapest never <laughs> smart i'm still confused because this guy we got a drunk in a car we're going to give him drinks you know ooh but you know When we got this guy to the detox and everything else, one of the old timers explained to me, Jimmy, our job is to get him there. He says, have you ever been in a car at 60 miles an hour and you got a wet drunk and he's going through the DTs and he jumps out of the car? It's a mess, right? Or the guy, you stop at a red light and the guy takes off. He says, one more beer won't kill him. The doctors will take care of it. It may save him from going into the DTs. These were some of the older gentlemen we don't talk about so much anymore, but some of the guys taught me a lot of stuff. It was kind of it was kind of interesting that, uh, And I'm glad I met some of these guys, but anyway going on with uh, uh, You know I got a chance to, to do some stuff in sobriety uh, Today I travel quite a bit uh, I've been to uh, some foreign countries. I made some meetings in Jerusalem. I made some meetings in Cairo China uh, Thailand Uh, New Zealand and a bunch of different states. I think like 40 states I've made meetings in Canada and Mexico. I like to travel. And just to give you an example, I I went uh, with a friend of mine, we went in a group and we went to Vietnam. We went there for about 19 days. I know there's a lot of veterans here and uh, I'll mention something in a minute, but um, what happened at the end of this tour, there's about 14 people on this tour and this school, this school teacher, school principal, come over to us and she said to me and Henry, she says, tell me the truth, are you two guys in the CIA? Now I'm ready to run with this, because this is, you know. <laughs> school teacher, huh? I'll get even, okay. And I looked at her and I says, what gives you that idea? And she says, because we flew into Bangkok and you got two phone calls waiting for you at the hotel. And then you guys disappear to some. You say you're going to some meeting, you know. And then you guys disappear. And then you come back. We go to Hanoi. We get into the hotel. We don't even get to the rooms. There's a guy waiting for you in the lobby. You guys shake hands and hug. He asks from how long have you know this guy? He says, you just met him. And then you take off someplace and then you come back we go down to Saigon you got two phone calls waiting for you and then you disappear again (laughs) and then we go to Bangkok last night and you're going out some woman comes and picks you up in an SUV and takes you someplace and comes back tell me the truth are you guys in the CIA and it dawned on me you know how no matter where you go in this program you can find the meeting I mean, I arranged some of the stuff before I got there. I got on the internet and I wrote some letters and stuff like that and hooked up with some people. So no matter where you go, you know, you can find the meeting. Uh, So it was kind of interesting. The gentleman we met up in Hanoi was a Catholic priest uh, who was up there and uh, he took us around and showed us us part of uh, Vietnam that a lot of people don't get a chance to see. it was nice to go to some meetings and they're always happy to see people because they don't get enough visitors over there uh and then uh, we made some meetings in saigon you know uh, at some of the hotels and met some people that worked over there and it was kind of interesting to do that uh so even in thailand they have uh somebody had some real good common sense they on the website they printed out for the cab drivers because there's one main meeting there's quite a few meetings there they have swedish meetings uh, Danish meetings, German meetings because all the visitors they have and they have it printed out in the Thai language because there's one meeting at a Catholic church and uh, uh, which is one of the main meetings and it's written in the Thai language so you just give it to the cab driver because you can imagine me trying to explain with a New York accent and my crazy Thai how to get to a meeting. Hey, Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that don't work. Uh, but one of the other things too is and this is just my little thing is when we were in Vietnam. Uh, I, I just picked up a habit of leaving 24-hour chips in a lot of places. And there's a lot of places, you know, in, in, in some of the places that names some of you remember, you know, Da Nang and, and Wai and, and Hanoi, even that that Hanoi prison. There's quite a few 24-hour chips laid around uh, in there. But that's my little thing, because I know there's a lot of guys that didn't get a chance to get the program. so. But I joke around a little bit and, uh, uh, you know, and sometimes it gets you in trouble, okay? Uh, I just uh, wanna mention that uh, uh, one of the things that happened to me was, I think I had about 18 years. And these guys, uh, I went to a med stag meeting and uh, they asked anybody celebrating a break And I said, yeah, I got 18 years. And so they said, well, if we'd known that, we would have had a cake and we would have had a, a woman in it, you know? And uh, so, now, you gotta picture this, there was about 20 guys from this halfway house, new in recovery, one of these treatment halfway houses. So I turned around and I said, well, I got this tough New York sponsor, and he said, no relationships the first 25 years. (laughs) And I, well, these poor kids looked at me and died, you know what I mean? (laughs) I guess they didn't want what I had, you know? Well, the thing is, sometimes when you say something, people don't forget. So, and Steve is sitting there, and he can, he can vouch for this. When I got close to twenty-five years, they said, "Okay, well, they put on a roast for Jimmy." All right. So we had it at the Milano Club. Maybe a couple hundred people showed up. I had a lot of enemies, I think. And they roasted me. Uh, it was all in good fun. I mean. I got so much condoms and so many Viagra pills. I got a rubber doll, you know. Um, What I was trying to explain, you know, what my sponsor had said. He said, "Now I hope you're going to understand this. He said, the first 25 years, I could have sex and I could get married. But I couldn't get in a relationship. Does that make sense? (laughs) No, Okay. Hi, right. talk to you after the meeting. <laughs> but it was kind of fun to put on that. You know, and a lot of people said they got a kick out of it. You know, here's a person with 25 years. I think sometimes new people uh, get the idea when you get old, you get grumpy. Uh, I have done more in sobriety than I ever did when I was out there drinking. All I did was follow up bar stools. To give you a prime example, uh, you know, I, I got some Irish in me and I couldn't even make it to the St. Paddy's Day Parade. Now, I could have walked over there, crawled over there, took a cab, took a subway, I never made it to St. Paddy's Day Parade because I would stop in O'Hara's O'Reilly's, or Young's Tavern to see how they were doing, and you know what happens when you go and have one drink. You know, the party's over, the parade's over and everything else and you're drunk, all right? Well, I sobered up, I made two trips to Ireland I made an AA convention. I even went up to Belfast, Northern Ireland, And it was up there in 92 when the troubles were still going on. And I just bring this up for the one thing is that I went to a meeting and nobody asked me if I was ID, you know, UDF or IRA, orange or green. They just said, Yank, what do you want? Coffee or tea? I think sometimes we forget that. You know, we're supposed to be the sick ones. I come from a neighborhood with a, you know, but people got bumper stickers that say, ex-wife and trunk, and they mean it, right? And we're the sick ones that say, you know, live and let live. Easy does it. You know, we're the ones, and I bet you everybody in this room has let this supper get cold because a phone call came. And somebody says, you got a minute, you know? And we take some time out. And you don't gotta have 30 years to 12 step people. I think, you know, I, I did some work in the treatment center, and most of the, the, the it, was, it was the people in the treatment center that were new trying to help somebody else. They were the ones to say, because everybody wanted to take off after three days or something like that, and the other people, the other clients would say, you know, why don't you stay? And they were the ones that helped people, you know? Don't get this idea that you gotta have 30 years to help somebody. I used to do juvenile detentions and and, and some prisons and stuff like that, and, and some treatment centers. And they they identify more with the newcomers, uh, people that's got less than a year because they can't fathom somebody with with 30 years. They don't know how you get it or what's going on because they're still worried about having a cigarette after the meeting and having a little bit of money in their pocket and stuff like that. You don't need, you know, this is the only program in the world that a plumber can get a lawyer sober. You know what I mean? I think, you know, people think that, you know, I always thought that, you know, no matter how far down the scale your experience can help others, I thought you need a PhD and all that stuff. I like what Father Martin says. He says, a lot of these people with degrees, you know, they're going with thermometers and you know where thermometers go. <laughs> there is nothing better than another alcoholic sitting down and talking about. I think, I mean, don't get me wrong. I think a lot of people with uh, with education and everything else is wonderful, but I think sometimes people get too complicated by that, and they're trying to figure out answers. I read a book, and this was by a very educated person, and he says there's, there's only seven reasons an alcoholic drinks, just seven, and I will tell you the seven reasons. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and maybe saturday all right uh and i think this is the one thing that you know no matter where we go i mean look at, you look in this room and you look in other rooms that we're people that normally wouldn't mix if anybody's ever had the opportunity to go to a world convention have been there go to one Eighty thousand alcoholics holding hands it's amazing uh these are people from other countries you go see that you know opening ceremony when that flag day. 87 people come out with their flags, and everybody applauds. Here's Irishmen hugging Englishmen. Arabs hugging Jews because it's recovery. And I'm not trying to go smoke up your butt because it, I've been there, all right? I had a situation where what happened to me was I was in New York City. we going to Rikers Island to, to do some uh, jail meetings. And I never was in this one facility before. By the time, and this is up on the sixth floor, by the time we go through security and they bring down all the prisoners and the food and we couldn't get in the elevator, I gotta go to the bathroom. So I got to the sixth floor and all of a sudden, I said to my, the guy I was going in with, I gotta go to bed." He said, okay, go over there you know, and then come back through security, because uh, there was security on each floor. And uh, we're in the third room on the right. So. Okay, I go down there, I, get into, I go walking into the room, here's a circle of guys, right? So I go up there and I grab hands and hold with them, right? Now, there was only other, one other white guy in the circle. I mean, this is New York City, a lot of the you know, minorities are in there because it's jail. That's just the way it is. And all of a sudden I realized they're not saying the serenity prayer. I'm in a black Muslim meeting. God has a sense of humor. One of the the guys next to me goes, what are you looking for? I says, AA. And he goes, next door. So I go next door. The point is, now normally, they don't agree with my thinking and I don't agree with their thinking, and that's okay. But some of them came to the meeting next door. They came to our AA meeting. And afterwards, I got a chance to talk to them. And as long as we talked about recovery, we had something in common. And that's the important thing that I think we forget. You know, it's it's amazing that where we go and everything else. Look at it, I mean, look at the groups of people. We got young people, we got old people, we got all kinds of different things. Uh, Steve and I, I just wanna mention something that uh, that we helped start a meeting in, in back in Prescott for seniors. Some people laugh a little bit about it, you know, who's seniors, you know? But we found out through some information in Hawaii because Steve went to a first senior and sobriety convention that, you know, we talk about newcomers coming in, and a lot of times we think they're young people. What's happened over the years is we're getting a lot of older people coming in. People are retiring, they're playing golf, and they're drinking a lot more. And all of a sudden, you know, before it was fun, now they're having a problem. And then when the wife dies, they sit home and drink a lot more, or the, or the husband dies, and a lot of them uh, are crossing the line and becoming alcoholics. Also, one of the things that uh, for a lot of us in in our area, a lot of us are not going to meetings at night as much because of the driving, the eyesight, the cold weather and stuff like that. So we started a seniors meeting today. It's open to anybody, but you know, it's kind of interesting. We got, uh, we can go to, you can find a meeting where you're comfortable at. I think a lot of people use words and they think they're bad words like resentments. There was nothing wrong with the word resentment. How do you think we got meetings started? Right? You know how meetings get started? Not some little guy sitting up in heaven going, okay, we need a meeting over here, and he's the angel meeting person or something. Somebody gets a resentment, all you need is a resentment and a coffee pot, and you start a meeting. Right? <laughs> young people got a resentment against the old-timers, they start a young people's meeting. Coffee pot. And then then the women got a resentment against the men, they started a women's meeting. Then the men got a resentment for the women, and they started a men's meeting. And that's how we got all these, we should name them resentment meetings, but you know. So it's not bad, you know. Uh, don't, get, uh, don't get bent out of shape with that. Uh, but, so, some of the stuff has been good, that's happened to me. I do a lot of prison work with, with Steve, and it's kind of interesting. Uh, I was doing a meeting and this was back in, I was in Oklahoma at the time going to do some school. And uh, uh, I asked the guy, I said, well, my birthday was coming up and I was going to the meeting. I said, can I go in and celebrate? And the guy and I said, sure. So I was just visiting. I was in there a couple times. I get to the, to the gate with, uh, and all of a sudden this correction officer looks at me and says, well, your name ain't on the list. Uh, you're not going in. Well, I looked at him and, you know, I didn't say anything, but my my brain was telling me that, you know, doesn't he know who I am? This is my AA birthday. And I got a box of donuts to bring into the meeting and stuff, and and I was kind of pissed. But all of a sudden, I got this moment of clarity. And and something told me, I went to the bathroom just to cool down a little bit. And uh, of course, in my brain, I'm going to call the governor. I'm going to call the warden. And I'm going to call the newspapers. And then I'd laugh to myself with a moment of clarity. Can you imagine this? AA volunteer breaks into prison to go to meeting. <laughs> it's funny how your attitude changes. All my life, I've been trying to stay out of places like that. Right? Now I'm pissed because they won't let me in. Right? Uh, you know, I've worked my way up from uh from uh from county jail then I started doing the state prison now I'm I'm doing federal prison you know the guys in my neighborhood be proud of me you know what I mean that's the way I look at it uh so I think it's I I I think it's nice we can laugh about some stuff uh and uh you know we kind of like joke about a lot of things. I know I, I mentioned about that relationship stuff. Uh, I just want to ask, has anybody ever been on an AA date? Yeah, talk to you later. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, it's amazing, you know, we tell people, uh, and, and I, I mentioned this to the newcomers because a lot of times you get some of these people, they go, you know, no relationships the first year. You know why they tell you that? Because nobody's ever did it. I don't think there's a person that has been in the program for a year that didn't get into a relationship. And if we do, we should give them a prize or something. You know, We expect people to go, okay, go to a dance. Look, don't touch. Matter Matter of fact, don't look. All right? But have fun. And don't you want what we have? No! All right? You put a pe- bunch of people together, you know, things are gonna happen. I, I don't care. I mean, the only thing is a lot of, I, I I mean, I joke around, but it's serious too, but you know, a lot of us just don't know about relationships. We've never been in one, you know? We've been in some, I don't know what else you call them, and I, I don't even talk for myself, but kind of like when you come into AA, and this is just, this is just Jimmy, so, uh, you know, you go to a meeting and you see this woman by the coffee pot and she smiles and of course, whoa, you know. Um, so um, you sit down, the meeting starts and you know, it's time to share. So of course you say something splendid, brilliant, spiritual, you know, <laughs> that it really isn't gonna impress her. My name is Jimmy, I'm an alcoholic and I pass. <laughs> Uh, but of course, this gets her attention. Uh, and then you go to the meeting next week and you know, she's there and you you know, she remembers your name, so you figure, oh boy, you know, oh, there's a fantasy start, okay. <laughs> now, what happens is you finally, she you think that you asked her for a date, but she probably asked you. So, of course, being all these social skills that you developed in the bars, you know, uh, and uh, you, uh, you say, okay, well, you know, well, do, you know I'll, I'll, I'll meet you. So where do you meet? You meet at an AA meeting, right? Okay, and uh, of course, you know, um, let's face it, Jimmy, you know, new recovery, you're cheap, you know. Um, that's one reason why you meet it there, you know what I mean, save some money. But of course, when the basket's passed, you're gonna put two bucks in, make sure she sees that, you know. Now of course you go out for a bite to eat, right? You hope she had enough cookies and you know and I coffee to me so she doesn't eat too much, you know. 'Cause you're cheap, yeah. You Honest know, program. Okay. Now of course with all your social skills, you don't know what to say, right? So But all of a sudden, it's programmed. So you ask her who her sponsor is, what step you're on, do you like this meeting, don't you like this meeting, da-da-da, and all this stuff. So at the end of the night, you've talked so much about AA that when you get her home, right, you don't know whether to kiss her or say the serenity prayer. (laughs) That's my opinion of an AA day, Uh, you know? I think we tell we tell people certain things, and, and and I think you know what we have to do is lead by example. I, I'm gonna put Steve on the spot for a minute. He was the gentleman there that gave away the the book last night. He's got 46 years, uh, and uh, but you know what? He's been also married 45 years to the same woman. Uh, so uh, and uh, he he did it one month before he had a year. So. It does work sometimes, uh, but like he says, and one thing I'm going to say is, you know, uh, that what he says is he works his marriage like the program, one day at a time, and I think that's important. Uh, you know, relationships are uh, they're interesting. Uh, uh, some people get in trouble over them. Uh, I think the main thing is that, you know you got to put down the book sometime you know you read all these books about you know romance and all that stuff and relationships and self-esteem and all that sometimes we got to go out and try it talk to some people about it uh i have had more fun in sobriety than i than i ever did when i was out there drinking uh it's enjoyable to go to places like like this uh i got a card you know that i keep and uh you know it's got my phone number on it and it says you know if you really want to get stoned drink wet cement you know i give that to newcomers uh if you want help i'll help you you know what i mean but if you want to go out and do something you know don't don't waste my time there's a lot of people that really uh really want this program uh one of the things i just want to mention to some people is that you know i was told a long time ago Take your medallion, take your coin, and uh, put it on your house keys and your car keys. Because if you ever get the crazy notion of throwing away AA, you can throw away your house keys and your car keys at the same time, because that's what the heck you're doing. Uh, uh, I'm gonna just finish up with uh, something, all right? Uh, Because I know the the mind can only take as much as the butt can, so. (laughs) All right? Uh, but I just want to tell this one, one thing is that, um, I got a, um, I got a sister out in Oregon and, uh, uh I mean a niece and she was about 15, 16 years old and uh, she called me up and she wanted to come to New York and visit and, you know, see the roots and all that stuff. So, uh, uh she came and we had a pretty good time and I showed her New York and uh, she went back and a couple months later I got a phone call and found out that she attempted suicide. Uh, So, of course, I called up, and uh, uh, my mind is racing and everything else, but at the end of the conversation, uh, she said to me, thanks, Uncle Jimmy, and I said, thanks for what? She said, thanks for listening, and it dawned on me. The program taught me how to listen, all right? Uh, She said the doctors were coming in here, psychiatrists were coming in here, my friends were coming in here, ministers were coming in here, my parents were coming in here, and everybody was telling me what to do. You're the only one that listened. So I said, oh, wow. So the next night, we talked a little bit more. And I told her, I said, you know, I'm a recovering alcoholic. And she says, I knew there was something different about you. Uh, She says, my best friend is a recovering 39-year-old drug addict who I talk to a lot. Uh, So from there, we started to have a relationship. I visited her a couple times. um, And she... uh, and uh, so then finally, after a couple of years, um, um, she gave me a call, phone call and she said, she started asking me about relationships about with alcoholics. And I go, oh, was going on. She was, she had dated this one gentleman who uh, was an alcoholic and a drug addict and, and was, um, and they broke up. And what happened was later on uh, she moved down to California and that's where he was and they got back together again. He was sober. So she was asking me about all this stuff about, you know, uh, about relationships. Well, to make the story a, a little bit, um, finally, uh, they got married and uh, she asked me to give her away. And so I got a chance to walk her down the aisle. I also got a chance to give her husband a seven-year medallion. So, uh, I still visit her once in a while. She's got two kids and everything's worked out. Uh, I, 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 and so it's kind of like, uh, um, and uh, so it's been, it's been kind of like good. I mean, you know, what, I, what I'm also saying is, I think that people, let's come up, let's get, start using the right language. People go out there and get high. That's BS, in my opinion. Stay in the program and get high. All right. Uh, if you haven't had the opportunity to get high, you will stay around. You may be able to. You may be able to walk down somebody down the aisle. You may walk down the aisle. I don't know. Uh, 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 you may see your kids graduate. Uh, you may sponsor somebody, and and give them a year coin. There's a whole lot of highs out there. Steve can tell you. You know, we got some guys that came back from prison. You know what I mean? Go to a meeting and here's a guy that got out did five years or something. Comes up and says thank you and means it. Uh, So there's a lot of highs out there. Enjoy yourself. I know. uh, So um, I kind of hope you got something out of this. I think I did, and I hope to be back here next year and hope to see every last one of you. And so thank you very much. My name is. Good morning. My name is New York Jimmy, I'm a grateful recovering alcoholic. And I still get nervous before I speak, but I was told a long time ago, alcoholics are like tea bags. The only time we work is when we're in hot water. So, uh, I said I'm a grateful alcoholic, and what I mean by that also, it's not just me that's grateful, there's a lot of other people out there that's grateful that I'm in the program. Bartenders, police, judge, you know family members and friends. So remember that when you say you're grateful. There's a lot of other people that think uh, grateful. Uh, Before I start, you know, with the nickname of New York Jimmy, I just want to mention something that uh, uh, everybody knows what's happened on September 11th and I'm not gonna, you know, uh, but what I want to do mention is that a lot of people out here don't realize that when that situation happened, we also lost a meeting. I used to attend meetings in the World Trade Center Uh, in New York we a lot of times we had lunchtime meetings because a lot of times office workers it would take them 45 minutes to get downstairs to get a sandwich and get back up to their office so people used to bring you know lunches with them and we had lunchtime meetings at the World Trade Center also had them at Citicorp and Chase Manhattan Bank Uh, so it's when that happened we lost the meeting but also what happened was I went back to New York after that because I had a trip to the Middle East. I went to Egypt, Israel, I picked a good time to go, you know, uh, and also Jordan. But I went back to New York and I went down to Ground Zero. And what happened because of the situation, um, there was a lot of firemen, a lot of police, and a lot of rescue workers that were in the program, and they started AA meetings in Ground Zero. So sometimes we lose a meeting and sometimes we gain a meeting. Uh, I tried to make that meeting. I went up to GSO, and I, uh, but because of the security thing, you had to go through the Red Cross to get clearance and all that stuff, and I didn't get a chance to go to a meeting at Ground Zero. But I just want to mention that, you know, that, uh, uh, you know, we got meetings all over the place and everything else. You know, I grew up in New York City, and uh, and uh, oh, you know, joined a bunch of gangs when I was a kid. I'm not going to get into the war stories, but you know what? I came into AA, and I joined the biggest and the best gang in the world. It's the weirdest gang, I'll tell you that. <laughs> you, know, you know? I mean, you know, if we ever had colors, all these gangs today got these colors the reds and the blues and all this stuff. Our colors, I think, would be black and blue. You know? I think everybody can identify with them colors. So, oh, there's the alcoholic gang, black and blue, okay. You know? Uh, so, but uh, just think. My anniversary date is May 28, 1976, which. I am proud of gives me 30 years of sobriety. And just to let people know, I'm going to tell you how you get 30 years. You don't drink and you don't die, okay? And you can get 30 years. But the thing is, to enjoy yourself and to do some of the stuff, that's the, that takes a little bit of work. Um, The only difference between having 30 years and 30 days is that I've been through some stuff. I've been through the relationships that didn't work out, the disappointments with the jobs, the the promotion I didn't get, the lottery I didn't win, the girlfriend I didn't get, and all that. I didn't have to drink over it. You know, a lot of us realize when things happen. You know, somebody always comes up to you and says, "This too shall pass," and you want to kill them. You know, uh, there's probably a couple dead AA members I know in New York. There are, uh, but uh, anonymity. You know. Um, but, uh, so, but also, I, I believe that, too, I've been in the program long enough to know that when one door closes, another one opens. But the whole thing, when that door, the other door, it doesn't open in five minutes sometimes, it doesn't open in five, five hours, sometimes five days, sometimes it takes five months. Jimmy don't like standing and waiting in the freaking hallway. That's the whole problem uh, with, the, uh, you know, with that thing about when things happen. But today we got a support system and everything else, so it's it's good that way. I want to do something. We just had, you know, somebody just won five hundred and something dollars, and that's pretty that's pretty cool. You go to a meeting and make some money. Uh, but uh, let's try something. Anybody want twenty dollars? Anybody raise your hand? Okay. Oh boy. Okay, alcoholics out, out there. Okay. Anybody still want it? Raise your hand. Anybody still want it? Anybody still want it? Still want it? Why? Exactly, it's still worth something. This is an alcoholic, folks. My opinion. We've been stepped on, got dirty, rearranged, disfolded, and disshelved, but you know what? We're still worth something. And how? (laughs) I'll talk to you after the meeting. (laughs) I'm not well. Uh... (laughs) We'll talk more. (laughs) I'm glad we can laugh about things because you know I went to a meeting and there was a sign on the on the wall that said, "Please, God, teach me to laugh again, but never forget. Let me forget that I cried." And that was kind of my prayer. Uh, I'm I'm gonna probably skip my drunk log. I'm, I'm gonna give you the quick drunk log, because what I want to do is uh, get into recovery a little bit more. Uh, so my quick drunk log is in 1974 I peed in my pants. <laughs> it gets better. 1975 I peed in my pants. In 1976, I had no pants, okay, Uh, you know. So we can laugh about it, but you know, I come from a dysfunctional neighborhood. Some people call that New York City, all right. Growing up, I had this moment of clarity, and I asked the big question. You know, when I was a little kid, I asked about sex. Uh Uh-oh. So the government The school teachers, the churches, friends, family, all told me that sex was for lower class animals, it was dirty, it was filthy, and it was a sin. So save it for the one you love and marry. I was confused. (laughs) Uh, You know, to kind of like tell you a little bit where I came from, I quit school at at 16 because I knew it all, you know. Uh, I asked my one question and didn't get an answer, so. Um, But uh, I got into, you know, alcohol. I even got into drugs uh, younger, but this is AA. Uh, And, uh, you know, it's also nice to see a lot of young people here. That's really nice. You know, uh, there's a lot of people that grew up and they started drinking at 18 and 21. Today, with the young people, they're coming into AA and other 12-step programs at the age 18, you know? And uh, if anybody makes any kind of comments to you, I think they're just jealous that you got the opportunity to get sober and clean at 18 and 21 or whatever age you're at. Because if I could have, boy, I would have, you know, didn't have to go through all the pain and everything else. you went through enough pain, you know, at 18 and, and 21 or whatever age you are enjoy it. It's nice to see you have a dance last night and everything else. I always get a kick out of when you know, you say you can't scare an alcoholic. Yes, you can. Send them to the first AA dance, you know. You can always spot them. They're up against the wall like this, you know. You know, how can anybody drink? How can anybody get out there and dance without a drink or a drug, you know. And then all of a sudden they see other people do it and they try it and they find out they can have some fun in this program. Um, My mind runs very quickly sometimes. You know, I think if I actually died, my mind would stay awake for the next three days, you know? So, don't mind me if I skip around a little bit. Uh, But um, I grew up in an Irish, you know, Italian, German, Greek neighborhood. Uh, Hey, that's the way it was, a lot of good food, a lot of good Italian wine, and a couple of good Irish bars. Okay, but uh, my father was was born in Liverpool, England. My mother was born in Ga- Galway Ireland. Now, the Irish and English shouldn't even date, much less get married. But they they got married. Uh, I was born. I thought I was the blame for World War II. Uh, but uh, uh, my father converted to become a Jehovah Witness, and my mother was Roman-Irish Catholic. So I just bring up this point that I... I grew up with a lot of confusion around religion, Uh, so when I came into this program, I had a little tough time with so-called God and all that stuff. I'm just glad that somebody had common sense to say it's God as we understand them. Uh, Today, uh, I'm a lot open-minded about different religions and cultures. I kind of, you know, uh, I kind of go to a lot of places and I. I uh, watch and listen about other people's cultures and religions. I enjoy that, so it was kind of confusing. I, uh, I, like I said, I quit school at, high, uh, at 16, had a hell of a lot of jobs, went in the Navy. Uh, just to give you an idea, um, um, I got in trouble in the Navy, you know, and all that stuff, you know, break time and, you know, extra duty and all that stuff. But, you know, it was a lot of fun, you know. My attitude was, look, I got, I got caught once, but I got away with it 20 times. So I was ahead of the game. That's the way I kind of looked at it. And, but, uh, you know, I had six days to go, and I enlisted I was gonna get out, and all of a sudden I found myself on a ship in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, during the Cuban Missile Crisis, offloading Marines. And they gave me a year's extension. And like a week before that, they asked me if I want to reenlist, and I told them what they could do with their canoe club. So I was in a lot of deep doo-doo, you know what I mean? That seemed to be the, you know, the thing with me. Alcoholism took me uh, down a little bit further. I ended up. I was sleep. Uh, I was living in furnished rooms. They're a lot of fun. You'll never see a reality show about them. You know, uh, bedroom down the hallway, and you know, you just place the crash. And you're trying to dig up 15 bucks to pay a rent, week's rent. But that's why I lived, and that's the guy, kind of people I hung out with. Joe would get paid on Tuesday, so we drink in his room and I get paid on Wednesday, you drink in my room and somebody else got paid on Thursday and, you know, uh, but finally, with the alcoholism, I ended up going up to a place called Greymore St. Christopher's Inn. It was upstate New York. I would love to tell you that the guy that 12 step me had 30,000 years. He did not. The guy that 12 step me was drinking with me in a bar. It took me a little while to Realize what had actually happened because he kept mentioning Greymoor, and he kept mentioning St. Christopher's Inn because a lot of people would go up there for once a year and get the wrinkles out, you know, three hearts and a cot. So he mentioned it. So in a way, he 12 stabbed me. He put the thing in the back of my head because this was 1976. There wasn't, I mean, this is just the way it was. It wasn't the good old days, the bad old days, whatever. It was just the way it was. There wasn't a lot of treatment centers. There wasn't a lot of advertisement. Um, there wasn't a lot of talk on all these talk shows about alcoholism and AA and stuff like that. I didn't even know what AA was. I seen guys in my neighborhood, they quit drinking because the doctor told me if you had one more drink you're gonna die. So they came into the bars and they drank coke. Right? They were the most miserable sons of bitches you ever want to see. Right? So I thought when you quit drinking you became just a miserable old son of a gun. You know what I mean? I didn't know you could have fun in this program. That was kind of like a nice little surprise. So uh, uh, I went up to this Graymoor, it was run by St. Francis uh, of Assisi's brothers. They wore the shoes, they, I mean the sandals and a robe, and I said, oh my God, what am I in for? Even the name Graymoor, you know? It sounds like Igor comes to the gate and lets you in, you know? But I was kind of desperate. And I remember I was there for about three days You know, you can walk in this place drunk as a skunk and they just give you a bed and three days later you woke up and then they start talking to you. And the brother interviewed me. He says, you know, you're a veteran. We can get you in a 90-day VA hospital. And I looked at him and I'm saying in the back of my mind, 90 days, that sounds like a jail sentence. So I told him I had places to go and things to do. And he said, name one. (laughs) He says, go. He says, if you don't like it, you know, You can always walk out. So when you don't have too many choices, you go. Uh, I was there, and I kind of like, you know, still my head was foggy. I remember talking to the doctor, and he asked me these brilliant questions. He asked me who the President of the United States was. I got it wrong, you know? About four questions later, I thought, you know, I I realized what I said. And I'm trying to, you know, get back to the doctor and tell him, no, I I know who it is, you know, and, you know, because I'm in a psychiatric hospital. They do lobotomies here, you know? It's Montrose, VA Hospital. And uh, so I'm there for 90 days, and here's the the kind of like, God has a sense of humor. A couple of my friends, uh, you know, a lot of my bridges, I burned, as many of you did, and I lost a lot of friends and everything else. But I came from the neighborhood, and um, we kind of still stuck together for some crazy New York reason. Uh, And two of my buddies came up, and they picked me up at the hospital and took me home for the weekend. Now, they don't know what to do with Jimmy, because he's not drinking. So they take me to the movies. What movie do we see? One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. <laughs> I see that movie about every five years. Matter of fact, um, just two years ago we, they had a play in, in, in Prescott, Arizona, it was One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, in May, in, around my birthday, it took a one took swar- young lady And we went, and with a couple other people, we went to a nice, had a nice meal and went to go see Jimmy's play, you know what I mean? I'll tell you, God's got a sense of humor. So, uh, I got out of the VA hospital. I would love to tell you that, you know, I got the program. I did not relapse, all right? Don't get me wrong. But I kind of like, still kind of like, wait a minute, do I fit in? I was going to some meetings out. Uh, This buddy of mine, he had a machine shop. So he, he let me stay with him. And uh, I had a job drawing holes in a piece of metal, which I really loved. you know what I mean? That's boring for eight hours, you know. Uh, but it paid for groceries and it paid for the cigarettes. I'm going to say something. Uh, this is my opinion. All these people with therapy and, and psychiatrists and everything else, I think the best therapy in the world for somebody in new in recovery is get a job. All right? All right? You can take all these books of self-esteem and all this other stuff. You know, okay. Uh, <laughs> read them, okay? Um, but put them down and do something. There's nothing better than, look, I don't want to get up in the morning, it's cold out and go to work and everything else. But you know when I got paid and everything else, I became a responsible citizen. I got a chance to make my amends. I got a, I got a chance to, to do some of the corrections that I, I screwed up. And also, it, it made me feel that I was worth something. It's the same thing with doing service work. I think all these people running out and doing these workshops on self-esteem and all that, that's all nice and wonderful. But if you want self-esteem, get involved with service. All right? You know what it feels like when you kind of like feel this about this big and somebody says, you want to be treasurer of a group? And they go, wow, there's $40 there. You trust me with $40? You know? They make you coffee maker. They make you do some stuff. Uh, it helps your self-esteem. You get to meet people. When people say thank you, they mean it. You know, uh, I think there's a lot of things we don't give AA credit for. So if you get a chance, get involved in service. I've been involved in service for quite a few years now. I'll probably get into that in a little bit. Uh, but, you know, so I, I lost my train of thought, but it will come back someday. But anyway, I was in the VA hospital. Oh, yeah, I was going to these meetings. And, and the meetings I went to, they were, they were nice and everything else, but everybody wore suits and ties. And I was not comfortable with suits and ties in the beginning. Because the guys that wore suits and ties were your bosses, and they were the persons in what they call human resources or personnel. They were the ones that hired you, and they were also the ones that fired you. So I was not comfortable. Uh, But that was me, all right? I'm new, I'm self-conscious, and we're we're very, you know, uh, and, and all of a sudden, I noticed everything was a click. You know a group over here by the coffee a group over here another group over here so I thought you had to join one of these cliques and gangs. and I noticed people went out for coffee after this was a big thing in New York to go out to the coffee shops that's where I really got sober was the coffee shops because a lot of people didn't drive so I just went you know walked down the street and went to a coffee shop so I was waiting for the invitation to go when they're gonna ask me to go to a coffee shop because I thought you had to be invited So all of a sudden, somebody comes up and says, Jimmy, you want to go for coffee after the meeting? And I said, I got places to go and things to do. I mean, God, you know, uh, you wonder about them little things. I deprived myself of certain things uh, in the beginning, uh, not knowing and stuff. Uh, Also, one of the things was I went to a step meeting, and all of a sudden, they passed the book, and you had to read. And I got nervous about reading, and I never went back to that for quite a while because I thought somebody was gonna make fun of me because I, you know, struggle with reading and stuff like that out loud. And, uh, you know, and I found out in this program, not too many people laugh at you, you know what I mean? They'll cry with you, but laughing at you, no. Because most of us have been there. Don't deprive yourself of of some kind of thing. Go out and try some stuff. I see a lot of people, you know, they're kind of like nervous. They don't know if this is gonna work or something like that. You know, get involved in some kind of service and. And, and see if it works out. If it doesn't, you know, uh, you try something else. I don't think there's the perfect AA person. There are people good at answering the phones in intergroup. There's other people good at speaking. There's other people good at sponsoring people. There's other people that's good at doing corrections or something like that. You'll find what, you, what you're good at. But you've got to go out there. Nobody's going to go. We don't have aptitude tests in this place. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. What do I be? Okay, but so, you know, so find out what you're good at and give it a shot. Uh, you know, I also want to thank the committee, you know, for letting me give me the opportunity to speak. Uh, and, and I want to thank all the volunteers. I've been involved in some of these conferences and, 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 and committees and stuff. And it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of hours and a lot of dedication. And thank you very much. And as long as I'm up here, I want to also thank Budweiser. Guinness Stout, Rango, Dewa Scotch, uh, for helping me get into the program. <laughs> I, finally, I, I finally got myself a sponsor. I went back to my old neighborhood. I know that's a dangerous thing to do, uh, but I was sober for a little bit, because I, I, uh, I was a couple of years uh, out, of, out of New York City, and I went back to my old neighborhood. I was sober about a year, and I, uh, I kind of started making meetings over there. And I felt more comfortable uh, with blue collar, you know. That's just me. And it started me getting involved in some stuff. I met a gentleman uh, that became my sponsor in New York, and he started getting me involved in service work. And uh, uh, just that God has a sense of humor. We used to do Manhattan Psychiatric Center. uh, And we used to do a meeting there. And we used to go every two weeks. And I just mention this, because I find that sometimes when you have these commitments, these are all my own opinions, and I got a lot of them. That, you know, some people do service work every week. And sometimes that becomes a little monotonous and routine and stuff. And I think it's nice if you can get a bunch of people and you can split it. You know, you go to a, a, a jail every other week or a, a, a treatment center every other week and let somebody else do the other week. And then you kind of look forward to it. You don't get burnt out. Well, we're at Manhattan State. We do the meeting when we come out. Now, my have did some time upstate New York in a prison, and uh, we come down, walking downstairs, come down in the hallway. The meeting's on the thirteenth floor. We come down, we walk outside. Now this is, this is, underneath the Triborough Bridge, Randolph's Island, which is where they filmed, uh, the French Connection, and uh, and there's some uh, fire training uh, there and a couple psychiatric hospitals. Uh, and we walk out in the parking lot, there was about 65 police cars, with their lights going on. Now, that, that doesn't shake you up. I looked at him and said, was it that bad of a meeting? <laughs> it was just weird timing. What had actually happened was the president uh, of the United States was coming to New York, or a vice president, one of them big shots. And they used that as a staging area. So as soon as he landed Touchdown at JFK, they started to close down the Roosevelt uh, East River Drive and Grand Central Parkway so they could, you know, so he could fly through and not see anything, you know, uh, in his limousine. And it was just it was just a staging area, but to walk outside and see about 65 cops cars with their license, I mean, with their lights flashing, that was kind of interesting. So, I, like I say, God's got a sense of humor. I got an opportunity to meet some of these People that had some time and go on some 12-step calls. And they were kind of interesting, you know, uh, in early recovery. Uh, uh, that uh, I remember one of the guys said, Jimmy, we're going on a 12-step call. Come on, get in the car. So, you know, these guys were, you know, they, they were guys you were going to listen to. Because you know they'd been there. So I got in the car and all of a we drove on, we picked up this drunk. And the guy says to me, the guy driving, he said, Jimmy, go get a six-pack. And I look at him and I go a six pack. He says, "Go get a six pack." And of course, you know, bringing Jimmy, I got to ask him, you know, what kind, you know. And he says, because he had more time than I had, and he said the cheapest. And that was smart. I'm still confused because this guy, we got a drunk in the car. And we're going to give him drinks, you know. Ooh, but, you know. When we got this guy to the detox and everything else, one of the old timers explained to me, Jimmy, our job is to get him there. He says, have you ever been in a car at 60 miles an hour and you got a wet drunk? and he's going through the DTs and he jumps out of the car? It's a mess. right? Or the guy, you stop at a red light and the guy takes off. He says, one more beer won't kill him. The doctors will take care of it. It may save him from going into the D- DTs. These were some of the, the older gentlemen... We don't talk about so much anymore, but some of the guys taught me a lot of stuff. It was kind of interesting, that, uh, and I'm glad I met some of these guys. But anyway, going on with, uh, uh, you know, I got a chance to, to do some stuff in sobriety. Uh, today I traveled quite a bit, uh, I've been to uh, some foreign countries, I made some meetings in Jerusalem, I made some meetings in Cairo, China, uh, Thailand. Uh, New Zealand and a bunch of different states. I think like 40 states I've made meetings in Canada and Mexico. I like to travel. Uh, just to give you an example, I, I went uh, with a friend of mine. We went in a group and we went to Vietnam. We went there for about 19 days. I know there's a lot of veterans here and uh, I'll mention something in a minute. But uh, what happened at the end of this tour, there about 14 people on this tour, and this school, the school teacher, school, school principal, come over to us, and she said to me and Henry, she says, Tell me the truth. Are you two guys in the CIA? <laughs> now I'm ready to run with this, because this is, you know, <laughs> school teacher, huh? I get like even. Okay. And I went to her, and I says, What gives you that idea? And she says, Because we flew into Bangkok and you got two phone calls waiting for you at the hotel. And then you guys disappear to some, you say you're going to some meeting, you know. And then you guys disappear. And then you come back. We go to Hanoi, we get into the hotel, we don't even get to the rooms, there's a guy waiting for you in the lobby. You guys shake hands and hug. I asked him how long have you known this guy? He says, you just met him. And then you take off and you go someplace and then you come back. We go down to Saigon, Saigon, you got two phone calls waiting for you and then you disappear again. (laughs) And then we go to Bangkok last night and you're going, some woman comes and picks you up in an SUV and takes you someplace and comes back. Tell me the truth, are you guys in the CIA? And it dawned on me, you know, how no matter where you go in this program, you can find a meeting. I mean, I arranged some of this stuff before I got there. I got on the internet and I wrote some letters and stuff like that and hooked up with some people. So no matter where you go, you know, you can find the meeting. Uh, So it was kind of interesting. The gentleman we met up in Hanoi, was a Catholic priest uh, who was up there and uh, he took us around and showed us us part of uh, Vietnam that a lot of people don't get a chance to see. But it was nice to go to some meetings, and they're always happy to see people because they don't get enough visitors over there. Uh, and then uh, we made some meetings in Saigon, you know, uh, at some of the hotels and met some people that worked over there, and it was, was kind of interesting to do that. Uh, so even in Thailand, they have uh, somebody had some real good common sense. They, on the website, they printed out for the cab drivers because there's one main meeting. There's quite a few meetings there. They have Swedish meetings. Uh, Danish meetings, German meetings because all the visitors they have and they have it printed out in the Thai language because there's one meeting at a Catholic Church and uh, uh, which is one of the main meetings and it's written in the Thai language so you just give it to the cab driver because you can imagine me trying to explain with a New York accent and my crazy Thai how to get to a meeting. A.A. okay yeah (laughs) yeah that'll work Uh, but one of the other things too is and this is just my little thing is when we were in Vietnam uh, I, I just picked up a habit of leaving 24-hour chips in a lot of places. And there's a lot of places, you know, in, in, in some of the places that names, some of you remember, you know, Da Nang and, and Away and, and Hanoi, even that the, the Hanoi prison. There's quite a few 24-hour chips laid around uh, in there. But that's my little thing, because I know there's a lot of guys that not got a chance to get the program. So... But I joke around a little bit, and, uh, uh, you know, and sometimes it gets you in trouble, okay? Uh, I just uh, want to mention that uh, uh, one of the things that happened to me was, I think I had about 18 years. And these guys, uh, I went to the men's stag meeting and uh, they asked anybody celebrating a birthday. And I said, yeah, I got 18 years. And they said, well, if we'd known that we would have had a cake and we would have had a, a woman in it, you know. uh, So, now, you got to picture this. There was about 20 guys from this halfway house, Newman Recovery, one of these treatment halfway houses. So I turned around and I said, well, i got this tough New York sponsor, and he said, no relationships the first 25 years. (laughs) And I... Well, these poor kids looked at me and died, you know what I mean? I guess they didn't want what I had, you know? But the thing is, sometimes when you say something, people don't forget. So, and Steve is sitting there and he can he can vouch for this. When I got close to 25 years, they said, okay, well, they put on a roast for Jimmy. All right? So we had it at the Arano Club. Maybe a couple hundred people showed up. I had a lot of enemies, I think. And they roasted me. Uh, it was all in good fun. I mean I got so much condoms and so many Viagra pills. I got a rubber doll, you know. Uh, what I was trying to explain, you know, what my sponsor had said. He said, now I hope you're going to understand this. He said, the first 25 years, I could have sex and I could get married, but I couldn't get in a relationship. Does that make sense? <laughs> no? Okay. Hi. Talk to you after the meeting. <laughs> but it was kind of fun to put on that. You know, and a lot of people said they got a kick out of it. You know, here's a person with 25 years. I think sometimes new people uh, get the idea when you get old, you get grumpy. Uh, I have done more in sobriety than I ever did when I was out there drinking. All I did was fall up bar stools. To give you a prime example, uh, you know, I, I got some Irish in me. And I couldn't even make it to the St. Paddy's Day Parade. Now, I could have walked over there, crawled over there, took a cab, took a subway. I never made it to St. Paddy's Day Parade because I would stop in O'Hara's O'Reilly's, or Young's Tavern to see how they were doing. And you know what happens when you go and have one drink. You know, the party's over, the parade's over, and everything else, and you're drunk, right? Well, I sobered up, I made two trips to Ireland. I made an AA convention. I even went up to Belfast, Northern Ireland, And I was up there in 92, when the troubles were still going on. And I just bring this up for the one thing is that I went to a meeting, and nobody asked me if I was ID, you know, UDF or IRA, orange or green. They just said, Yank, what do you want, coffee or tea? I think sometimes we forget that. You know, we're supposed to be the sick ones. I come from a neighborhood with a, you know, but people got bumper stickers that say, ex-wife and trunk. And they mean it, right? And we're the sick ones that say, you know, live and let live. Easy does it. You know, we're the ones, and I bet you everybody in this room has let their supper get cold because a phone call came. And somebody says, you got a minute, you know? And we take some time out. And you don't got to have 30 years to 12-step people. I think, you know, I, I did some work in the treatment center, and most of the, 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 it was it was the people in the treatment center that were new, trying to help somebody else. They were the ones to say, because everybody wanted to take off after three days or something like that, and the other people, the other clients would say, you know, why don't you stay? And they were the ones that help people, you know? Don't get this idea that you gotta have 30 years to help somebody. I used to do juvenile detentions, and then in some prisons and stuff like that, and in some treatment centers, and they, they identify more with the newcomers, uh, people that's got less than a year, because they can't fathom somebody with, with 30 years. They don't know how you get it or what's going on, because they're still worried about having a cigarette after a meeting and having a little bit of money in their pocket and stuff like that. You don't need, you know, I, this is the only program in the world that a plumber can get a lawyer sober you know what i mean i think you know people think that you know i always thought that you know no matter how far down the scale your experience can help others i thought you needed a phd and all that stuff i like what father martin says he says a lot of these people with degrees you know they belong at thermometers and you know where thermometers go there is nothing better than another alcoholic sitting down and talking to him i think i mean don't get me wrong i think a lot of people with Uh, with education and everything else is wonderful, but I think sometimes people get too complicated by that.